Welcome to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Dr. Kirby Stewart. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's your host, Kirby Stewart. And good morning and welcome to the Recovery Hour. It's actually afternoon. It's uh, 12.06 on News Radio KLBJ 590. I'm Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery. And we bring you the Recovery Hour each week. Um, I want to talk about addiction. We want to uh, talk about substance use disorder. Talk about the leading cause of death in uh, adults 18, or I'm sorry, 25 to, no, 18, 18 to 45. Leading cause of death is substance use disorders. Um, And we bring this show in to discuss professional opinions and medical opinions, provide counsel, provide guidance, provide resources to the community. So anybody wanting to join us, please do today. If you have questions, uh, call or text 512-836-0590. And uh, of course, our host, Dr. Kirby Stewart is uh, with us today. Good morning, Dr. Stewart. How are you, sir? Good afternoon, Mark. Glad to be here. Uh, I, uh, really miss being here uh, last couple of weeks. Well, you you were missed so, last couple of weeks. Well, yeah, I, I listened in. You guys did just great without me, but uh, I missed it. So well, glad there we to go. be back. And you and I uh, always plan this show like in the maybe four minutes before we go on. Um, and, you know, the, this morning uh, we were talking about what does help when 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 do we identify that? What does that look like? Because there's, you know, if if substance use disorder affects over seventy million Americans directly or indirectly each year, that's about a fifth of our population, uh, give or take. Which means, uh, you know, two out of ten people listening to us right now are having an issue with substance use disorder. So that's a, a huge percentage of our population, and and I know there's varying degrees of that, and there's varying treatment on that, and, and you and I were discussing that briefly, and what do you do? I guess that's my question. How, how do we begin this process? What, uh, how do we identify? How do we begin? How, how do we seek help in a healthy way? Well, great question, and, you know, this is a question that, Uh, professional organizations like the American Society of Addiction Medicine and uh, uh, American Psychiatric uh, uh, Association have been wrestling with for decades now. It's not as confusing or mysterious today as it once was because we've come to understand certain things about the nature of addiction uh, that clarifies the issue. Uh, For example, uh, addiction uh, is not an all-or-none thing. Uh, Back in the 30s when the 12-step program called Alcoholics Anonymous was being uh, put together, uh, one saw a sharp distinction between what in those days they called a real alcoholic and the rest of the population. And their program was actually designed for the down and outers, what they called the real alcoholic, what we would call today a very, very uh, severely ill individual. Uh, 
but that's just one end of the continuum. The disorder itself occurs on a continuum and ranges from mild to severe. And a lot of that 70 million skews towards the moderate to mild end of the continuum. Uh, However, we've also discovered over the last few decades that the disorder is a progressive phenomenon. That is to say, it doesn't get better on its own over time. Some chronic diseases do. Some chronic diseases do get better, although actually not many. (laughs) Not many. (laughs) None come right to the top of my mind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we have this phenomenon of the disorder occurring on a continuum, number one, uh, and the majority of people are on the mild to moderate end of that continuum. But when faced with the realization that it gets worse over time, inevitably it gets worse over time. And some people uh, uh, actually have the experience of having the disorder get worse even when they're not using or imbibing. uh, And if their disorder, for example, is alcoholism, even during a period of uh, sobriety or a period of time when they're not consuming alcohol, the underlying disorder tends to get worse. And and to define that, my experience has been someone who may quit on their own for Mm -hmm. six months. Mm -hmm. When they start again, the consequences are much greater. That's that's is that a good way to paraphrase that? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. That's the experience that leads to the observation that the disorder gets worse over time, even in the absence of the provoking agent, in this case, alcohol. Um, And that's because, uh, as people in long-term recovery will attest, uh, that the disorder isn't caused by the drug. It's not. The drug is a symptom of the disorder. In, In drinking alcohol, if an alcoholic drinks alcohol, he has become symptomatic. You take away the alcohol, the disorder is still there. And that's often what needs the underlying treatment, the underlying medical diagnosis, the underlying uh, exactly. addressing the disease. Yeah. Because it, as, as you have pointed out many times, Dr. Stewart, this is a disease. It is a chronic disease. It's a brain disorder. It's a genetic disorder. It is a disease much like asthma, much like diabetes. These are things that take continuous treatment. They take continuous care or relapses there. And the relapse in in addiction and substance use disorders often has some pretty terrifying consequences has been my experience. Um, So, by the way, the reason that I have taken to using the term disorder rather than disease is because although it really doesn't matter to me, uh, uh, some people... Uh, uh, resist the use of the term disease uh, probably because they see the disorder as a behavioral abnormality and and think that somehow consciousness is involved in behavior in a way that consciousness is not involved in a disease like uh, cancer, for example. Uh, 
and I don't think it matters personally, but I, in order just to avoid the dispute, I, I use the word disorder. Uh, interestingly, I, I haven't run into anybody who has a problem with the use of the term disorder, <laughs> although they may have a big problem with the use of the term disease. And I, I think, you know, kind of, kind of splitting hairs, as they say, the, the result is that this is not a moral deficiency. It's not a, in fact, it's quite the opposite. You've, as you have said many times, you lose your ability to choose. You lose your yeah. capacity for choice, for making good decisions. Um, we are coming up on a little bit of a break here in just a moment. And if you would like to join us, please do on News Radio 590 KLBJ. Uh, call or text 512-836-0590. And uh, we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Stewart and personal responsibility recovery. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Sunday at noon. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Dr. Kirby Stewart. And good afternoon, and uh, again, welcome back to the Recovery Hour, uh, 1218 on News Radio KLBJ 590. Uh, if you want to join us, we're, we're talking a lot about the disease of addiction, uh, the substance use disorder, as Dr. Stewart likes to refer to it. Um, our number, of course, 512-836-0590, call or text. And, you know, we, Dr. Stewart, when we visit a lot of times on uh, about different things, you, you and I have talked sometimes about, you know, residential treatment, which is what personal responsibility does and, and does well. Um, but so often we see people coming into residential treatment after a second DWI or uh, losing children to CPS or losing relationships, jobs, just really the disease or the disorder has progressed to the point that, that they're, they just, they're screaming for help. They have to do something different. Do you have to get all the way there before addressing that moderate, that, that other, I, I guess my question, when in an ideal world, when would someone seek treatment or help for substance use disorder before the entire consequences just cave in on you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's been said that the entire history of addiction treatment is basically summed up as an attempt to raise the bottom. Uh, people who have the disorder tend to continue with the substance misuse until they can simply no longer do so, either because of health reasons or because they uh, can't afford it anymore, they're homeless and they reach the end of the line, or they're institutionalized in some way. Uh, so yeah, we do want to raise the bottom, so to speak, and the bottom uh, begins to look like that place that you're at whenever you stop. And whenever you stop making matters worse, in other words, whenever you stop digging. Uh, put the shovel down. Yeah, put the shovel down. There's lots of great stories about that and a lot of humor involved in uh, when we look at our circumstances, when we finally put the shovel down, uh, we can laugh about it because of the insanity of the disease that, 
at that point, uh, the disease has taken over one's life. That is to say that the pursuit of the experience of inebriation or being high or being affected by the drug is the primary concern in one's life. And that, that takes place uh, in all populations across the spectrum that I talked about at some point in time or another. That's because of the progressive nature of the condition. So I've talked about uh, the condition uh, being not caused by the drug or the alcohol, but that the alcohol uh, ingestion and the drug ingestion are symptoms of the disorder. And I'm going to pick up with that later in much more detail and hopefully we'll be able to tie that in with the answer to the question of when should people be seeking help. But I understand that we have a call uh, that come, and I want to prioritize taking phone calls, so I'm going to defer that for the time being. Well, and and one of the questions that we've got here is is from uh, uh, it, it's a an anonymous, uh, and I understand that. I'm going to bring that on and uh, let's address this question because it's a really good one. Hi, this is uh, this is Mark. Um, and I understand you have a question about uh, recovery from using methadone. Are you with us, Ginny? Uh, yeah. There we yes. go. My son uh, was diagnosed with bipolar in, in his teens, like 13, 14, and nothing, no medications from a psychiatrist worked. Unfortunately, within a few years, he went gradually and started using heroin. So we gave him tough love, took him... Uh, uh, took him to uh, detox and rehab, and when he came back, he just reverted right back into heroin, and so we kicked him out of the house. Um, he's 27 years old today, so he decided to go to a methadone clinic and um, himself. However, he feels like the methadone clinics are also a way to keep a business. He, he wants to start uh, coming off of the methadone, but they really don't allow it. What method or what center do you think is uh, suited for this individual who really wants to get off of even methadone but to go to rehab? He, he for the first time, is asked to go to rehab but wants to. Nobody will accept him being on methadone. Well, and that's, uh, number one, it's a tragedy that, that we set ourselves up for that way as an industry. Um, now, I'm going to speak about our clinic because we are a little bit different and that's the only one I can speak to. We okay. are what's called mat friendly, which is medically assisted treatment. Uh, mat friendly, a treatment center has to have the kind of horsepower medically to do that. Um, our medical director, Dr. William Loving, uh, board certified in addiction medicine. He is a psychiatrist, not just a physician. He's been specially trained in this, and there are ways to detox someone from methadone into uh, kind of a step down into another medication and, and eventually right. with the goal being being free. But there's some levels that have to be obtained, and I'm going to defer that to Dr. Kirby um, or Dr. Stewart. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Stewart, what, what, yeah. what's, the, what's the pathway for getting off of methadone? Would that be to Suboxone maybe and yeah, then, typically then just I harm think, reduction? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, typically 
Uh, let me just back up quickly and contextualize this a little bit. Uh, the reason that uh, methadone providers are so reluctant to take people off of the methadone or even decrease their dose is because historically speaking, whenever that was attempted, people would go back out and typically overdose. And the consequences uh. of that overdose when they went back out, and by going back out, I mean resuming uh, other opioid use, uh, usually heroin, but nowadays uh, it would be mostly fentanyl. Uh, anyway, whenever you tinker with the dose of somebody who's been stable on methadone for a period of time, you're, you're risking uh, o death by overdose. And so they're very, very reluctant to do that, and understandably so. So much so that the standard of care within that medical community is to not do that. So I in, it, it, your son uh, deserves a thorough evaluation by an addictionologist and somebody who's very experienced with the use of uh, op opioid substitution therapy or what Mark just called medication-assisted therapy or MAT. And, and there are a number of people in the community that can do that. Our, our medical director, Dr. Loving, is an expert in doing that. Anyway... How can I get his information? Well, for one thing, you can go to the website Personal Responsibility Recovery and, and okay. track him down that way. If you send an email to Personal Responsibility Recovery via our website, then it will make its way to Dr. Loving... Um, there are other physicians in Austin that you can reach out to. I think if you probably just Googled uh, opioid-assisted treatment or medication-assisted therapy, you will probably uh, pop up some names. Uh, one person that we work with who, who does uh, an active outpatient uh, treatment for opioid addicted individuals is a is a doctor named Matt Masters. And he's very good in this arena. His so, we, his website is drugfreeaustin.com. Yeah, Dr. Matt Masters, tremendous. Also, Dr. Russ Carter, uh, yeah. I believe, is mm -hmm. is another and. Depending on the levels, which is I think the psychiatric evaluation would determine. Um, you know, there may need to be some medical stabilization during that process. Well, the, it would be an inpatient type of yeah. thing, a residential type of thing. The evaluation well, would include a risk oh. analysis to see how risky it is likely to be for your son to decrease his dosage. And uh, theoretically, it can be uh, gradually decreased and another part of that evaluation is does he need to be in a residential setting while the drug is being decreased? Is he at, is because if he's at high enough risk for reuse or relapse, uh, he may need to be in a residential setting uh, for his own protection. Um, Absolutely. Okay. So, so there is that, but you, but but you there said is Dr. a pathway. On what website? So our website, uh, really to reach any of these uh, resources that we provide, just send us a quick note uh, to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com is our website. 
And okay, when Thank you, you do the contact down there, we can we can get you to the direction and, and do a full evaluation on that. But there there's a lot of great options to methadone. A sure. lot of great Thank options. You, Thank you so much for Very calling grateful. us. Very okay, grateful. may God bless. Thank you. Great. And uh, we're we're coming up on a break here in oh about a minute. Uh, we do have a couple of text uh, coming in, and I'm going to uh, probably address those right after our break here. I was trying to catch that one. Um, one of them that I can address fairly quickly. Uh, listening now and and thinks that they need help but on disability medicare um treatment centers that accept medicare and if you're listening to that still i apologize i don't have that right on the top of my head but again personal responsibility com. if you'll do the contact page on that pose that question to us we have a uh whole series of folks that have a network of different centers and folks that will accept Medicare and Medicaid and uh, would certainly want to get that information to you. Uh, Again, 512-836-0590, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Sunday at noon. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Dr. Kirby Stewart. And welcome back. Good afternoon. Uh, it's about 1233 on the Recovery Hour. Uh, we've got several texts here to address, and uh, of course, 512 836 if you want to call or text in. And right before the break, Dr. Stewart, we were talking uh, just briefly about Medicare and Medicaid disability. Um, how do you get help if that's the insurance you have? And, and you had a brilliant um, brilliant comment there that uh, it's the <laughs> Department of Health and Human Services under substance use services um, would have a list of centers that would provide possibly more vast than what we have, but the health and human services um, would. Yeah, if you, ju- if you just go to the state of Texas website, working your way towards health and human services. Uh, and then they, the, when you click on uh, health and human services, it will direct you toward all of the variety of services that are available. And one of them is uh, substance abuse services. You click on that, it will direct you. Eventually, you'll find your way to a source of information about where you can get care that's covered by state or federal funding. Okay. And we've got another text here that uh, someone's text in that uh, basically says the only way to break bad habits is to establish good ones. Um, and can we discuss how personal responsibility uh, helps a recovering addict by providing that replacement? And, and I, I know that's a, a whole different conversation. It, it well, you know, not with, really, Mark. Let me jump yeah, into that. Yeah, please, please. Remember I said that the disorder occurs on a continuum. And there are many people that are on the moderate to mild end of the continuum that don't actually even require detox. Or they don't, by detox, what we mean is medically assisted withdrawal management. I actually hate the term detox myself. Uh, 
Stabilization, I believe. Stabilization, it's because when someone suddenly stops using a substance upon which they've become dependent, they're going to have withdrawal symptoms. And in some cases, those withdrawal symptoms are, uh, if not life-threatening, very, very, uh, very uncomfortable. And uh, so they require medication uh, to assist with that process. They also uh, oftentimes benefit enormously during that period of time from counseling uh, because that's a time in which one is particularly vulnerable and, interestingly enough, open to change. And that openness to change or willingness to consider alternatives to the way they've been living is uh, very, very important to the recovery process. Uh, It's been thought over the years by some people that if people uh, undergo a really rough uh, bottom or very, very difficult withdrawal period, that they're more likely to uh, stick to recovery. And the truth of the matter is data shows that that is not the case, that actually a soft landing promotes uh, better long-term recovery than than a crash and burn kind of bottom, uh, and I could talk for hours about why that is so. But the point to be made now, in response to the text, is that for people who are on the mild end of the disorder, even perhaps to to the middle of the spectrum, the moderate, uh, replacing the bad habit of substance abuse with better habits is is probably going to do the job. It's probably going to be sufficient. And in fact, data shows that the vast majority of people who suffer from substance abuse disorder are able to recover on their own or with the assistance of a therapist, and they do not require residential treatment. Uh, many, many people, for example, go into the rooms of uh, 12-step programs uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, and they're able to do well uh, uh, sometimes after a, a relapse or two, but they're able to get going. And they do replace bad habits with good habits. It's actually a very, very solid approach. Uh, it does require, however, strong connections with people. If you remain isolated, All the willpower in the world and all the good habits in the world are not going to address the underlying disease process. You can probably keep the plug on the jug, so to speak, but you're going to be pretty miserable. And and I think those connections are what's so incredibly important. And and to address what we do, I I think you did. When, When you get to the point that residential treatment is required, then it is the counseling, the addressing the trauma, all of those things that you talked about and whatever that level of severity is, but there's a point where it's not a bad habit. You don't have a choice anymore. Right. Yeah. And that a bad habit implies that you're choosing to do something that you know is not good for you, but you're going to do it anyway. Well, you know, that, that might have been true in the stage of development of the disorder early on. Early on. But by the time people are seeking the level of care that we uh, deliver, that uh, power of choice is really illusory. We hold on to it because of the denial that we're enmeshed in, uh, 
but I and I want to address that the idea that we have choice when in fact we actually don't is is a big part of the denial that keeps the disorder in place. Uh, so many people that I've interviewed over the years come in to say, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I did get a DUI, but that was just bad luck. The cop happened to be in the right place at the right time uh, or the wrong time for me, but I can stop drinking whenever I want. And I, I say, okay, great, great. And then I see them a month later. Well, yeah, they could stop drinking, but they couldn't stay stopped. And then maybe two years later, and then four years later, and then eight <laughs> exactly. years. Yeah, it, uh, it, exactly. it 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 is a little bit of a a little bit of a challenge on that. So not just bad habits and replacing early on, but also uh, I think you have to draw a line at some point when you understand the need for residential treatment is maybe when it's no longer a bad habit. It's not even a choice. It's a lifestyle that you can no longer get out of. And I, I do want to address, if, if we're okay moving on, to address, I've got a texture that says, my son has been a heavy marijuana user. Uh, use so much we're doing a little bit of hallucinogenics. Um, you know, and, and he's had a lot of paranoia, a lot of delusions have increased. What's the best treatment? The best treatment's hard to say on that because as Dr. Carter, the about a week or so ago, uh, so much of the high-end marijuana today is not necessarily high-end marijuana. Uh, if you if you sprinkle lawn trimmings with the right amount of fentanyl, you, you've got some pretty potent stuff. And uh, <laughs> sadly, that's, uh, that's out there right now, and that is causing hallucinations. It causes some severe paranoia. It, it causes a lot. And, and asking us about... Uh, What's the best treatment approach for that? And, uh, you know, do we treat that? Do we have the right tools for that? Uh, my question is absolutely. Again, the, the medical director of Dr. William Loving and one of our counselors, uh, Dr. Sharon Duke, and, uh, of course, Dr. Dr. Stewart and Dr. Kareem Saheed, you know, we, we have the horsepower to do that. And, you know, it, it doesn't really... To me, and I think Dr. Stewart would agree, it doesn't really matter whether it's marijuana, whether it's alcohol, whether it's heroin, whether the core substance use disorder or the substance use disorder is at the core of it. Yeah. And I think the similar, uh, whatever the drug, the treatment for any of any substance use disorder at the core is addressing all of those issues. And it's, it's, well, let, you know, let's look at that right now. I, I realize that it, given the format of our program, it's very difficult to launch oneself into a discussion that's going to take 20, 30 minutes because we keep getting interrupted. But that it, it was thought for a long time that marijuana was not physiologically addicting. And a lot of people said, oh, well, that means it's safe even though people were saying it's psychologically addicting. Well, it, it turns out that the more potent strains of marijuana that are being grown nowadays uh, have allowed us to recognize that, yes, marijuana is physiologically addicting. And that you, you, change, you start to change the cannabinoid receptors in your body by uh, frequent use of marijuana, and then when you discontinue the marijuana, those cannabinoid receptors are no longer functioning normally. That's a physiological change. So 
the reason I jumped in is because I can see a possibility of segueing this conversation into the one about uh, what what I, I claimed earlier in the program that you take away the alcohol and the drug and you still have the disorder. Uh, what is the disorder then? How, what, what's remaining? And I want to point to a few features that I think you can find across the whole spectrum of, of the, the addicted population. One is a tendency to isolation. Two is an unwillingness or an inability to be content with reality or to be uh, faithful to life on life's terms. The other is an obsessive sort of personality. Uh, the third is someone who is constantly being triggered uh, because of trauma. They, they've developed a, a way of dealing with uncertainty and thus the future, because the future is always uncertain, uh, that's dysfunctional. Those are some of the few features, and I'm going to pick up after the break yeah, on we'll, others. We'll be right back on that. And again, if you'd like to join our conversation today on News Radio KLBJ, uh, 512-836-0590, call or text, and we'll be right back after a break. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Sunday at noon. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Dr. Kirby Stewart. And I'm Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery here with your host, Dr. Kirby uh, Stewart, this afternoon. Uh, 12.48, we're into our last segment. Uh, Dr. Stewart, we, we're going to have to make this a two-hour show in the near future. Uh, <laughs> if you want to join us, of course, uh, 512-836-0590, call or text. And, you know, at the, at the core, as, as we were talking just a moment ago, Dr. Stewart, at the core of the substance use disorder is nobody seeks help, I don't think, at the very day one, the help that is sought is self-medication, as we call it. it it's, yeah, I know for me, I smoked, a, I smoked a joint. I know my daughter's listening. I smoked a joint when I was 11 years old, and it was the greatest thing I ever experienced. I was off and running. My response to that is it just peaked my reward system at the, as high as it could, and I chased that for many, many years. And uh, that self-medication, I think, is a... Is a pretty, maybe even a word, dangerous part of substance use disorder. Does that ring true to you? Yeah. Yes, and I'm, I'm going to be stubborn about continuing to talk about the characteristics of someone who has the addictive disorder uh, that they are self-medicating uh, in an effort to uh, make themselves feel better. I, I mentioned a few of those uh, characteristics before the break, the most important of which is the tendency to isolate or a difficulty making uh, solid, uh, rewarding connections, emotionally satisfying or emotionally fulfilling connections with other people. That's a big part of it. Uh, another part of it is that people who have this disorder tend to have what the, the neurobiologists call a high reward activation threshold. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that in order for that, experience, uh, that person to experience a pleasurable event, 
that pleasurable event has to be remarkably pleasurable or unusually rewarding. And in other words, an ordinary experience like watching a hummingbird uh, visit a, a, a clump of flowers is probably not going to be reward activating. And getting a kiss from your Aunt Gladys is probably not going to be reward activating. However, drinking a shot of whiskey, even if you're only 12 years old, is probably going to be very reward activating because alcohol activates the reward system. Now, the reward system is a specific system in the brain that Mother Nature designed in order to get us to re repeat certain behaviors. Usually those behaviors are life-sustaining or life-promoting behaviors, like having a good meal, interacting with friends, uh, accomplishing a goal is very reward-activating. Uh, just looking at a smiling face on a screen is mildly reward-activating. So uh, in, in addition to activating the reward system, uh, and by the way, all drugs of, of abuse have in common that they activate the reward system. That's exactly why we abuse them. Now, the trouble is, of course, when you use drugs and alcohol to activate your reward system over an extended period of time, they hijack your reward system, so you're unable to feel reward uh, uh, as a result of engaging in ordinary life-sustaining activities. So it's a perversion of the reward system. I like to say they hijack it. At any rate... If you're medicating with drugs or alcohol, it's probably because you've become anhedonic or unable to experience reward or pleasure. Anhedonia is a term that refers to an inability to experience pleasure. People who have depression and anxiety are typically anhedonic. So I'm going to wind this up. Most people who develop a substance use disorder are people who are largely anhedonic before they ever pick up. That's why they have that experience that you had when you're 11 and you smoke dope. The first time I ever drank alcohol, I was 14, and it blasted me out into the fourth dimension because my reward system had rarely been activated, and it would certainly never been activated to that degree. So I thought, wow, I have found, I have found the answer. The alcohol. Holy Grail. So, yeah, the Holy Grail. Then thereafter, one's life becomes about how do I consume this drug or this alcohol without negative consequences? And that's, that's, that becomes the real tricky part. And, yeah. and I know for me, those negative consequences, they didn't outweigh the rewards until very late in it and by the time there's there's a there's a passage in the 12 step fellowship that i've been a member of for many many years when we come to a point where we can no longer function with or without the use of drugs what is there left to do mm -hmm. and sadly that's where we come in at residential treatment there's a whole bunch of things that can be done before that but when we find ourselves, and, and I'm, I'm addressing, you know, folks out there right now that maybe are in a relationship or, you know, you, you, you hear these words and there's that brief moment of clarity. But when we come to a point that we can no longer function with or without the use of drugs, what is there left to do? It's often said the three choices are jails, institutions, or death. Or a fourth choice, find a new way of life. And uh, that's... Uh, 
I've, I've tried two out of three of those three choices <laughs> and uh, <laughs> prob- probably close on the third a time or two. And for me, I was very fortunate to find a new way of life. I sought help through a treatment program. I sought help through uh, the Austin State Hospital, actually. And, uh, you know, I, I, have, I have learned how to be part of this lifetime journey that is recovery, that, that involves treating like any uh, progressive fatal disease. Um, substance use disorder at that point is a, a progressive and often fatal disease. And I think that's, that's the education that we have to provide, not only what causes it, but what do we do about it and, and how do we treat it? And it's 12 steps. And if it's, if it's to the point where the reward system is, is not outrunning the consequences or the consequences are too great, at that point, we all have to seek some help. And uh, I know we've, we've got some great resources to do that. And, and Dr. Stewart, you've been doing this for, for 20, 30 years, and so has Dr. Loving. And, and yeah, yeah we, well, we know yeah, how to I, do this. I found my way into this uh, career uh, because of my own alcoholism. I'll be straight up about that. And, and I introduce myself now as a grateful uh, recovering alcoholic because had I not had... Uh, such a clear path to recovery, uh, I'm not sure I ever would have undergone the spiritual transformation that I have undergone as a result of my addiction. And, you know, that's the good news. The, the uh, problem of uh, uh, addiction is resolved by the efforts that one makes to sustain recovery, and it turns out that that recovery uh, sustenance is is a really great way to live, and and it brings a lot of joy into one's life. Uh, so yeah, the 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 uh, negative consequences, by the way, are rarely fully appreciated by the person when they're in active addiction. Because when you're using a drug to activate your reward system, it impairs your ability to be aware of the negative consequences. It, it sure did on my account. It does. It, it does. does. So you have to be willing to trust other people and their direction and, and, and surrender. Be willing to surrender to the process of recovery and you can turn the whole thing around. I'm often asked, can you get the reward system back? Yes, you can. Yes, In you fact, can. It's even better than it was before you ever picked up. Uh, so takes a little bit of practice. You know, we're we're winding up to the end of the show here, uh, Doctor Stewart, and you know, I, I can I can say that if you are struggling and seeking out help, please use us as a resource because that whole spectrum that we talked about, from whether it's early on or moderate or severe. Uh, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com if you will use that and ask us any questions it's not just on the radio show but any questions we have the links and the contacts that we can put you in touch with the folks Uh, we we have the ability to hopefully make a difference that's why we are here so again personalresponsibilityrecovery.com I can guarantee you the reward system is reactivated uh, I see that every time I look at my daughter. I see it every time I look at my grandson. The friendships that I have both inside and outside of the 12-step meetings and programs that are available to us all. Um, 
it's very much a rewarding uh, way to live. Patrick Hensley with Hensley Sober Living said that, uh, you know, treatment centers teach you how to stay alive and uh, organizations that are available like his and Atomic Souls and all of the great programs, they, they teach you how to live. And that, uh, I think, sometimes is, is something that's really uh, also with the 12 steps. They, they, it's a roadmap to such a great way to live. That's been my experience. Yes, yeah, mine, mine as well. Absolutely. I, and, and we are really coming up to the end of our show, Dr. Stewart. Uh, we will be back here next week. 